Good morning, all. We're in week two of Pregnant with Promise. Uh, last week, we talked about this idea of, uh, you know, a lot of times when we, we have, every time we have a promise, there, there's a, uh, a hope for the fulfillment of that promise. And in the middle of that, sometimes, like we talked about last week, we had to deal with the doubt. Uh, last week, we specifically talked about Zechariah when he was in the temple and the um, Gabriel came and gave him a message that he and his wife would be with child. Um, and he said, I need proof. Like, how am I going to know this is going to come to be? And he had doubted. He doubted. And this was uh, this is the the holy man in the holy place in the temple serving his duty. He's inside burning incense to the Lord and an angel appears tells them what's going to happen, and he doubts. Uh, and if you've dealt with doubt, which every one of us in this room have dealt with some measure of doubt, you know, we have to learn how to walk through that. And so uh, this week we want to jump into the next, which we're going to talk about uh, is the shepherds and what they did with their promise. What they did when the angels showed up is they pursued to discover and so my one thing this week that I want us to kind of land on and hear is that promises involve discovery. And that discovery grows our faith. When you are, uh, it, a promise comes to you, there, there's a part of us that we have to discover because it's something that will be and we have to pursue it. We have to see, like, what will this be? And we'll see this specifically with the shepherds. So we're going to jump right into Luke 2. We're going to be in Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. And this is a familiar story that if you've been in and around church, it's probably like, oh, the shepherds, oh, you know, here's the story. Um, let's, let's see what God wants to speak this morning through a familiar story. So we pick it up in verse 8. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock. One thing that I want you to know, if you don't know already, is that shepherds were a basically a second-class citizen in this culture. They were uh, under the the rabbinic band because they didn't uphill uphold all of the ceremonial cleansings, and they didn't come to the temple when they were supposed to because they were out um, doing their job. So they were. Uh, isolated from the religious community of the day. They were separated. And what's amazing about this story, and this is something else that uh, also um, to let you know, so they're, they're, they're isolated from the religious community. And shepherds, the, the rabbis considered them to be a religious outcast, and their testimony was not admissible in court. So not only were they isolated from the religious community, they couldn't participate in their tight, their worship that they were called to do because they missed out on the cleansings and the other things. They were also not considered, their testimony wasn't admissible in court. I mean, this is who God appeared to. So we, we have a 500-year silence from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and then the angel of the Lord starts doing his rounds, has a conversation with Zechariah, has a conversation with Mary and Joseph, and then as the birth looms, as the birth happens, he appears to the shepherds, to a people that in this culture weren't valued, weren't trusted, and those were the ones that he appeared to first. And so this morning we're going to talk about what does it look like to live like and experience the promises of God as a shepherd. And the first thing is, 
Uh, they were available. They were there doing their job. It's one thing I love about the Bible is that not everything, actually in the, uh, in the Gospels, in the New Testament, very little of it happens within the temple. Most of the miracles happen along the road. This was literally them out on their job doing what they do to earn money. And God appeared to them there. To the ones that didn't have the option to go see God and participate in temple worship. And so in verse 9 it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. We talked about this last week. Every time an angel showed up, fear happens. I think we're a little jaded because we've been too conditioned with the stuff that we watch and experience, and we would be trying to justify, like, how is this shining, large, imposing creature over here? How is, how is that? How is he here? We're thinking, oh, you know, these are... Uh, projectors are putting him in the room or it's a hologram or it's you know some person that they've you know dressed up this was not the case they're out there in the field there's no the only light they know is candlelight there there's no like this you know that you don't see this but now all i see is dots on my paper because i looked into the light and and here were these (laughs) Uh, here were these shepherds doing their job, and the angel of the Lord appears to them, and they're terrified. Light, the lights come on, scared. In verse 10, it says, And the angel said to them, which is what they always say, After they appear, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So as much as they are isolated from the religious religious community, they're very aware of the text. See, one thing in our culture, we're not as familiar, and it, it's, not, it's not a high priority for some. I don't want to overstate that. Uh, as it was in the Jewish culture, they were... The word of God was a high priority. Most of them had memorized their book, the Torah, completely. They knew the word of God. And so even the shepherds who at this point aren't connected to the religious system, they're aware when they use these terms, a, a, in the city of David, a savior. They're probably thinking about the prophetic words about where the Messiah would be born. Who is the Christ, the Lord? And so they hear this and there's an excitement that came. And so the angels tell them in verse 12, it says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So what was their what was their thing? So here here's the promise. So the angels appeared to them in the middle of nowhere, outside of the city, in the dark. Angels appear, fear grips their heart. They're probably terrified. They're probably on the ground going, oh my goodness. The angel says, don't be afraid. And he tells them this good news, fear not. This news is coming. And he tells them this will be the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And what do they do? In verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Whole nother, uh, verse 14, we can spend a lot of time on, not going to today. 
But literally, so they see this angel. He appears. He tells them the good news. And then after he tells them the good news, it's like the rock concert begins. The multitude begins singing. So it was this one booming voice that's declaring a truth. And then all of a sudden, there's stereo. I mean, like, we take for granted. We have little speakers in our house that can pump out some pretty good music. But they're in the middle of the field. And this light show worship concert happens based off this truth that they just hear. In verse 5, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. With haste. So they, they hear this truth. They hear this promise. There is the Christ, the Messiah, has come. This will be a sign to you. It'll be a baby wrapped in a wrapped in cloth in a manger. And what do they do? They they don't go. Hey, you know, tomorrow morning sounds better. It'll be light. You know, we 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 won't have to venture out. No, it, with haste, right then they went. So it's dark. Could you imagine them going into this little town of Bethlehem? And there's a lot of people there because the census is going on. There's no room in the end. They're in mangers, and I'm I'm assuming that in this town there's more than one manger. There's more than one barn, which I know it's not a barn, but uh, there's more than one barn. And could you imagine these crazy shepherds that are going through? No, no, no. You know, uh, going through each barn, uh, you know, excited because of what they just saw. And finally, they bust in on one where a lady just gave birth. Okay, I don't know about you. And you can't do this. So don't test it. You can't go to the hospital right now. And go into the, you know, the baby wing without like a little scan card. Don't try it. Okay. But like, could you imagine? Just let's, this is the scenario. You get onto the hallway and you hear like the first cry of a newborn baby and you bust through the door. Oh, this is a mate. Could you imagine jumping into somebody's life that they're like, they've just had this precious moment and this is not like, I mean, I, I was there for all three of the birth of my children. The craziest thing of life. Woo! Uh, but like medical professionals were there. Like people you trust to do the right thing when, you know, it's like, so I'm like, I'm there. I'm nervous with the medical professionals. So they just had this in the barn birth natural right there. And then these shepherds come in the door and I don't know I'm sure it's not right after but they come in pretty close and they're like super excited look what we've just been told could you imagine I mean ladies if you've had a baby and you've been in the hospital imagine moments afterwards strangers jumping in your room and being super excited about the future of your child you're like you're hitting nurse's button like ah <laughs> not normal and that's what they, they come into this room and they begin to declare what they just saw. They, they went with haste. They, that was their highest priority. And they didn't give up until they found the right manger. In verse 17, it says, when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child. So when they walked in and they found the baby wrapped, swaddled in the manger, they declared what they just heard from the angel. They, 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 I'm sure. Can you? Can, I mean, like, 
we're a little jaded in our view of the birth narrative because we're familiar with it. I mean, I don't, jaded is not the right word, but we, we, we take it for granted. We, we're like, oh, you know, baby Jesus, some of us have this little nativity in your room, in your house. I do. You know, you got a little nativity, and it's just something that we do during this time of year. But this was, this was brand new. Like, there was no, like, hey, one day, shepherds, you're going to be in this story, and, and kids of all ages are going to play shepherds. Kids of all ages are going to be sheep and trees and all these things to, to, to be this, this one thing. It was just they heard a promise of God, and they were willing to do whatever was necessary to see it, to experience it, to feel it. Verse 18 And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. They weren't thinking, oh, man, can we trust their testimony? They weren't thinking like, oh, in court, this wouldn't work. They were just going, oh, my goodness, there was something that just happened to these men. It says all of those who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, and this is next week, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. And it had been told to them as it had been told to them. I mean, can you imagine? Think about it this way. Because we're thinking about Jesus, Jesus. We're thinking about the miracle worker. We're thinking about the man who we're doing communion today. We're think, thinking about the man who went to the cross. But in this in this moment, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was a six to eight pound little baby boy, like any other normal child. I mean, and this is the promise. The, these shepherds left praising God for what they had seen with the expectation of what would be. There was no, it's just like with Elizabeth and Mary, they had months, and even when now they, they had the prophecy that they were going to have the baby, that they, they were told by the angel, this is what's going to happen, and then it starts to happen, and there's building this faith, and then the baby's actually here, but it's just a baby. Like, that's what our world is. We're living in this place of knowing the promise. And expecting its fulfillment. That's what the shepherds did. They, they heard what the angels told them. And they trusted that what they said, what the angels said, would come to be. Even though when they left, Jesus was still an infant. He hadn't changed the world yet. He hadn't done any miracles. He hasn't went willingly to the cross. It was the promise. And so what I want to talk about as we round this out is living like a shepherd that if we're going to live like a shepherd if we're going to deal with this idea of living in this place of a promise because all of us that have chose to follow jesus are living in the middle of a promise because at some point you trusted him that he would fulfill what he said you you've put your trust in a promise A promise that we won't see the fulfillment of until he returns or we die. We won't see it completely. I mean, we get to experience it and we get to see God move, but we won't know it in full until that point. So we live in this place of a promise. And so living like a shepherd, here's here's five things. Uh, One is be available. 
The best thing that we can do with any promise is be available to that promise. Be willing for it. I mean, so they they didn't, I don't, I jokingly said this first service, it wasn't like we know that they just finished their 21 days of prayer and fasting like we're going to have in January, and they had this high spiritual moment, and God's been doing miraculous things. We don't know anything what led up to this moment, but we know when the angels appear, they were available. They listened, they heard, and they responded. So being available is very important. The next part of being like a shepherd is believing. Because, and we'll we'll see this next week with Mary, but we saw it last week with Zechariah. When a promise is being delivered to us through the word or through the spirit of God, we have to trust and believe it. Zechariah, even though he should have known better, even though an angel of the Lord appeared to him, he questioned how it would be. How would he know that this would come to be? We have to believe. Promises take a measure of faith for us, and that faith translates into believing. If we're going to be like the shepherds, we have to go. When God works in us, when God shows up and shows us something, the the natural progression of that is to move towards it, to discover it, to go. And what did the shepherds do as they went, or when they got there after the go, as they shared? Part of the promise that we live in, part of this place that we live in as people hoping for Jesus, hoping in Jesus, is that we we get to share that. And, And here's the beauty of what you see over and over again is God uses people that we think we, judgmental we, aren't good enough to do what God's called them to do. And I think some of us miss out on our opportunity to be and do what God's called us to do because we look at ourselves and go, why, why would God? I mean, because the shepherds could have easily been out there and be like, go pick somebody else. Like, I don't think we're a good representation of the, the this is the beginning of the kingdom. This is a story that you hear over and over again. And they weren't concerned because when the angels showed up and they were the one he told it to, They just went. And the beauty of it is, they didn't have to go to school. I mean, there was no no training for this because they had an experience with the living God. And they got to go and share that experience. That's the the beauty of um, the story of the demoniac. This man, he, he couldn't be chained, he couldn't be contained, and he ran around naked, which is super awkward. Jesus steps off the boat, he comes to him, Jesus frees him, he's clothed in his right mind, and he asks, he's like, let me come with you. He's finally found his freedom, he's finally found someone that can help him, and his heart is to go with him. What did Jesus have him do? Go and share what God has done for you. Go and share, like immediately. And what's crazy, whole other story, first service didn't get this, so you're blessed, okay? You're getting something they didn't, you tell them later. Fast forward that one story to this one guy, and this was the the Decapolis. This is an area, I think, of ten cities, uh, not 
really religious or Christian. I mean, not Christian, of course, but uh, not a Jewish culture. And this one man who went back into this pagan environment, fast forward in that same story, Jesus comes back and feeds, I think, 4,000 in this area. Men, not including women and children. So they had told him to leave. So man gets freed in the middle of that. Pigs, you know, jump off into the water. It's a crazy story. But they asked Jesus to leave. When he comes back, based on this one man's testimony, there's thousands of people there to come and see Jesus. All we have to do is be available to share what God is doing for us. But we've got to be available for that. We've got to believe it. We've got to go and we've got to share. And the last thing, what, what always, where we always end is worship. The beauty of the promise is it leads us to worship. Because think about it this way. The shepherds had an encounter. That encounter caused them to go discover to see if this was real. Like, was this a hallucination? Did something just happen that we didn't understand, but the angel told them something? They went to Bethlehem to discover it, and when they discovered it, it brought worship. And see, the promise, as we work on that discovery, it will always lead us to a stronger faith, and it will lead us to worship, because we get to see God do something Right in front of us. See, God's interested in in still sharing himself, I I believe, with the outcast. With those that are far from him. And he's looking for people that are willing to be pregnant with this promise. That are willing to go out to share and to see God move. Imagine what our culture would look like if, if that was our lifestyle. Then in the morning we woke up and just said, God, I'm, I'm available. Like, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's not like a, a structured anything necessarily. But it's just waking up in the morning and saying, God, I'm available for you. It's, it's crazy when you're looking for God to move how much you see God move. It's crazy about how much of our life we're missing what God is actually doing because we're not, interested is not the right word, we're not available to see it. We're, we're not talking to ourselves like, hey, in the morning, like, God, I want to see you move today. But it's interesting when we begin to realign the way we think about that and we begin to ask God, hey, I'm available, I'm here, how much little things come into our day that we get to see God answer little prayers. We get to see God move in people's lives. We get to be beneficial. Like you never know, like when that prompting the Holy Spirit where you just feel like, man, I just need to help this person do something. Or, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this little simple thing. And it's amazing how much God gets out of those opportunities when we're just available for him. And the beauty of that is, is we get to, we get to celebrate. We get to worship. And today, um, we're going to do something that um, we intentionally don't do every week, which I've had people um, not like that. They're like, oh, you don't do communion every week? We want to be at a church that does communion every week. Uh, one of the reasons we haven't been at every week communion church is not that we won't ever change this, but my kind of philosophy has been is I, I want this to be valued. And I think sometimes when you do it every week, and I'm not saying that you cannot, that you can 
not do it every week and still value it. But I'm saying that sometimes the things that we do on repetition, we just kind of follow through and we we just, you know, kind of like, you know, we cut off our brain and we go and do the process and like, oh, you know, it's communion Sunday. We want to value this. And so as we're talking about pregnant with promise, uh, I think communion is one of the most beautiful pictures that relates to that. Because Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he, he met with his disciples. They were at dinner and he broke the bread and say, this is my body that's been broken for you. And he passes that. And the end of dinner, he, sh- he pulls the cup out and said, this is my blood that has been shed for the forgiveness of sins. He said, as long as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And so the beauty of today is this is a reminder of the promise. So as we're taking communion today, it is our, uh, it is our declaration. As we, if you get up out of your seat today and if you walk up to that table and you grab a piece of bread and you put it in the juice, it is a declaration that you were unable to save yourself. And it's a declaration that Jesus had the power, ability to save you. And that you are trusting in that promise to give you life. And today, we we get to continue in our worship by taking communion. And I want it to be this thing, and I encourage you, we're, in just a few minutes, we're going to, worship is going to start again, and we're, uh, linger for just a minute. Like, ask the Holy Spirit. Say, God, is there anything that I need to confess before I go to the communion? But Is there anything that I need to, like, clear myself of? And the beauty of it right here in this, in this moment, you may have God, like yesterday, I'm telling you, like, um, half of my worship before, like, why worship is going on, half of it's kind of prayer, and I feel like the Holy Spirit just reminds me of things. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry, I got a bad attitude yesterday. I didn't really deal with it. And now, during worship, God's like, you want to get up there? You want to deal with that? And so before communion, it's just like that. It's just going, God, hey, I acknowledge. He already knows. It's not like he's going to be like, oh, you did what yesterday? But just in your seat, standing up, sitting down, just say, God, I, I want to be reminded how good you are to me. And that's what communion is. And so if you've not taken communion with us before, let me walk through that a little bit. Um, we do communion by intention, which just means that you're going to go up front and grab a piece of bread and you're going to put it in the juice and you can go back to your seat with your family or by yourself uh, and take communion um, when you're ready. Um, who is communion for? Uh, at REACH, communion is for believers. So uh, whether you're a member of REACH and whether you, this is your first Sunday, if you have surrendered and trust Jesus uh, in his sacrifice for your life and salvation, um, then communion is available for you here today. And so I'm going to invite our worship um, to come back up. And I want us... To prepare, like I feel in this, like there's this this thing that we God wants us to live in this place of joy, and that place of joy is always going to be rooted in the promise that He's made 
to his children. Not a promise of an easy life, but a promise that he is always good. He is working things to our end, to our good, and for his glory. And then today, we get to worship him through communion. And so what I want to do uh, for us is I want to pray, uh, and then I'm going to uncover the elements. And when you're ready, um, take communion, and then we'll worship. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that we can know you through your word, that we can learn to trust and obey you. And this morning, as you prepare a heart, Lord, before we um, lift communion up, Lord, I just pray over our response to your promise. Lord, that we would be a people like the shepherds that are available to hear your voice, that are asking, here I am. And Lord, I pray that you would help us trust you by believing what you've told us, the promises that you've declared for us. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people that would be willing to go when you say this is what is happening. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that in spite of how it may sound, Lord, we would be willing to go to the ends of the earth for you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a boldness to share who you are and what you've done in and through us. And Lord, as we take communion, Lord, I pray that you would receive our worship. That the moment we touch the elements, Lord, we would declare within ourselves and to those that are watching that you are king. That you are a good God that loved your children so much that you went to the cross for them. And Lord, we celebrate you because our life comes through your death. Our joy and peace comes through your sacrifice. So Lord, I pray that you would allow us to honor you by declaring our trust in you through communion. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.